1: So, a few weeks ago, Pastor Michael came to me and he said, Hey, I'm going to be out of town. And um, we know you love Genesis. So, we would like you to preach a sermon on Genesis. So, Genesis 1 is where we're going to be today. um, And I'm going to start out with a little bit of testimony. So, Genesis to me, um, I don't even know where to begin. I've been a member of this church for about 13 years And during that time frame, I've grown tremendously in the Lord. Um, But way back then, and even before that, I would have questions. And much like all of us, we have questions. We go to our pastor, we go to the elders, or we we read our Bible, and we ask ask the Lord, or we ask questions, and we, we try to get the insight from the Lord. So during the time I was... Looking up stuff, trying to research, trying to understand um, how God created everything how did that how did that work? We can read an account in Genesis, right, but a lot of times when we when we 're reading that, a lot of us are passing over a lot of really important things so today 's sermon might almost sound like a science class more than a sermon, so i 'm going to be talking a lot i 'm going to be going through a lot of scripture, but just Bear with me, because the title of the sermon is Profound Glory. God's profound glory um, is just immeasurable, right? But um, So the leadership wants to start a series on glory and redemption through the Old Testament. So through the Old Testament, over the next several weeks, Pastor Michael and possibly others are going to be pulling out the glory of God and how Christ is, is throughout the whole Old Testament, as much as the New Testament. A lot of us as Christians, especially if you're new to the faith, will come into the Bible. And most of us, when we give somebody a Bible and we say, well, they ask, where do we start? A lot of it is, oh, you know, start in Matthew. That's kind of where we point people, because that's kind of, you know, where the Gospels begin. But the really cool thing about the Old Testament is, Jesus Christ is throughout all of it. All right. From the third word of the Bible in the beginning, God, He's throughout all of the Old Testament through the New Testament. So today I'm going to be focusing more on glory and relationship versus glory and redemption because redemption's coming um, in Genesis, but not yet in Genesis 1. Slides work. That's fantastic. So during my. I was really worried. Um, So during my whole process of just growing in the Lord, like I said, I would ask a bunch of questions, and I would see the science books that had the, the monkey turning into man, and I would see that the earth is millions and millions of years old, and, you know, the galaxy itself is billions of years old, and then I would read the Bible, and I would say, well, that's not what the Bible says. And that was hard for me because I was really trying to understand, well, how, how can this be? There's, there's supposedly all this evidence that we're really old, but the Bible talks about a young creation. And myself and the leadership of this church, we, we kind of land on, we were created, the earth was created around 6,000 years ago. A lot of you may right now say, what? Didn't the dinosaurs die 65 million years ago? Well, that's what they tell you, right? That's what you were taught in grade school. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I do want to kind of put a little asterisk over here. If you are somebody that believes that the earth is millions of years old, that does not mean that you're not a saved individual. Salvation does not rely on how old you think the earth is. Salvation solely relies on Faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? However, I do encourage you to look at Genesis 1. To dig into scripture. To understand that the the Bible clearly teaches a young creation. And there are tons of facts that creation scientists have found to back that up. So even in Isaiah... There we go. A little perspective. Isaiah says, "...do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the very beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent." So, what's interesting about when Isaiah's writing this is they didn't know the earth was a sphere. Yet, Isaiah is saying that he sits upon the circle of the earth. So, the Bible actually said the earth was a sphere or a circle before the science of the day or later even discovered it. I find that extremely fascinating. But he's calling out the doubt here. Have you ever had doubt? Come on, we we all have, right? I mean, we we wouldn't be honest with ourselves if we didn't have some doubt at times. But as we pray, as we grow closer to the Lord, He will totally take our doubt away and He will reveal Himself to us. So during that process of just learning about creation, learning about um, the stars and the moon and the sun and the the flowers and the trees and the... the, the everything, the honeybees, everything, um, I started to really understand how perfect it was and how perfectly calibrated it was. How if the earth's crust was a little bit skinnier, how life couldn't exist because it would interfere with the man- magnetic field and gravity and it, there's no way for us to exist. How... The sky with oxygen and nitrogen and everything that we're breathing in is, is perfect for what we need. How the sun is the perfect distance from the earth. If it was a little closer, we would burn up. If it was a little further away, we would freeze to death. How the moon is just the perfect distance to keep us here instead of floating off, right? If it's one way, we float away. If it's a little closer to the other way, it would crush us. It is a perfect balance, which points to a designer. So during that process, my wife and I, about, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, we decided to visit the Creation Museum, which is in Kentucky. It's about four hours from here. If you've never been there, please go. I probably had the most intense conversation about creation on the way home for about four hours trying to wrap my mind around, because at the time, I was still trying to figure out, okay, are we millions of years old, or are we thousands of years old? And they supported so much evidence from creation scientists that it boggled my mind that the evidence for the Bible is profound. It is absolutely incredible to see... um, I can't even describe it. When you, if you do visit there, it'll it'll walk you through Genesis. It'll walk you through the um, the Garden of Eden. You'll literally walk, and there'll be a Garden of Eden, and you'll see Adam and Eve, and you'll see the serpent in the tree, and it'll tell the story of the fall. It'll show fossil evidence of a worldwide flood. It'll show fossil graveyards of fish being buried very rapidly. It'll show why the dinosaurs in Montana, there's thousands of them in one pit because whenever water is rushing to one area, it's carrying everything into one area. Much like if you've ever seen a a floodplain flood, all of the branches kind of wash to one place. And it shows evidence of all of this occurring. It shows evidence of a young earth. Have you ever driven up 79? Anybody driven up 79 towards Bridgeville? Driving up 79, there's these big rock cliffs, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right, right before Bridgeville, right? You ever look at those? Some of us, maybe. You ever notice how there's stripes of, of color? You ever wonder why that is? Because the flood, and I'm a little bit past Genesis 1, laid down all these sediment layers right? And we can see that also in the Grand Canyon, the same red layer of sediment, a few hundreds of miles away from the Grand Canyon is the same layer of sediment in the same type of sediment laid over hundreds and hundreds of miles. Nothing can cause that but a but a flood. So it gave me so much confidence in God's word that I was able to share more and more in, um, I pray that God uses me today to to help strengthen your faith, to show you the glory of God, and to show you Jesus in the Old Testament. So where are we going to start? In the beginning, right? So what is beginning? Beginning is a time frame, right? Everything has a beginning. I went over here and set my Bible down. There's a beginning to this. As soon as I sat it down, the time was ticking. How long is my Bible going to be sitting there? There's a beginning to that. There's a beginning to our service. There's an end to our service. Right? But time itself was created by God. Right? Time itself, and we'll get to that. We'll talk about that as well. But sometimes we look at God in And we try to comprehend him in this little box, right? It's about that big. It sits on our shoulders, right? We really can't do that because we're limiting him to this little space. And he's so much bigger and more glorious than that. His glory is so profound that we just can't comprehend it. If you think about God, God sits outside of time. He's the founder of time. He's the creator of time. So if we look at this stage as time, as the, that left side of the curtain as the beginning of time, at this right side of the curtain at the black is the end of time, this is all of time. God can see all of this time at one time if he chooses. So if you think about it, he's so big that he can hear all the prayers from the beginning of time to the end of time at one time if he chooses to. How big is he now to you? So he can literally see the creation, he can see the fall, he can see where he destroyed the world with a flood, he can see where he promised the Messiah in Genesis, all the way over here to where Christ is crucified, to the resurrection, to the second coming, and beyond. All at one time, if he chooses. Were you limiting God to this little box? Because he's so much bigger than that. If you think about it, God knew you would be sitting here today. God knew that they put the fourth stringer up on the stage telling you this message, right? He already knew that. He already knew when he created Adam and Eve that he would regret his creation, flood the world, and it would start again. He already knew that he was going to have to send Christ to redeem us. However, he still did it. Because he wants a relationship with you. So like I said, we're going to start in the beginning, right? You can turn your Bibles to Genesis 1 if you choose to. We're going to read these passages, and I'm going to stop after pieces of the passage and just kind of explain it out, almost like a science class, right? But... My, my prayer, like I said at the beginning, is for God's glory to shine through me in my weaknesses so that you can see and better understanding who he is and how big he is and how profound his glory is. So Genesis 1-1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens, there's space. Earth, there's matter. You have to have all of these come together at one instance. Because you can't have matter without space, because where are you going to put it? When are you going to put it if you don't have time? It has to come together all at one instance. You can't have something other than God, you can't have matter be eternal. Because it doesn't make any sense, right? Because if you have matter that's eternal, then how did that create itself and become these perfect spherical planets that, that are spinning at thousands of miles per hour around a sun? Right now, did you know you're spinning? You're spinning like this, plus you're spinning around the, the sun like this at tens of thousands of miles per hour. That's incredible. Like I don't feel dizzy or anything. Right that that is crazy to think about. So God was in the beginning, in the founder of time. God is before and beyond time, therefore outside of time. He's not limited by space or time. So much bigger than that. Time was created for humans by God in Genesis 1:14 through 18. He is the creator and ruler of the universe and everything there is. The source of all moral authority and the supreme being. So, as God is creating the heavens and the earth, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He already had a purpose in mind. He already knew why he was creating. Right? He already knew you were going to be here today. Just like the book of Psalms says, he knows the very hairs on your head. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He's looking for a relationship with you. But what's interesting in that first sentence, in the beginning, God, God, or Elohim, is the Hebrew word. So, in the beginning, Elohim, Created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is a singular noun with a plural meaning. You start to see the Trinity here. A singular noun with a plural meaning. God is already represented as plural at creation. But is the Trinity present? And when I say Trinity, the word Trinity is not found in your Bible. It's the only word us humans can kind of describe you know, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, as one homoousios, as one God in one entity. Again, we, we have to do that in this little box, because we can't really describe the, the magnitude of the Lord. But is all three present at creation? We're going to get to that. But I found it astounding that It's a singular noun with a plural meaning. Isn't that cool? In the third word of the Bible. And as we open our Bibles, we're already given a question. The very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? And if we don't believe that, and we believe in a theory of evolution, which holds very little weight, by the way, as far as fossil record and all of that stuff, because if evolution, and let me describe evolution for a moment. So there's a difference between macroevolution and microevolution. Macroevolution is if I have a raccoon over here, What they're saying is over millions and millions of years, it somehow became an elephant or whatever, (laughs) right? And for that to happen, we would have to have evidence of thousands upon thousands of transitional phases in a fossilized form in order for it to have maybe like one elephant foot, then maybe half a trunk. And we have found no evidence of any of this with any species, What we have found is extinct apes or we have found extinct species like saber-toothed tiger or mammoths. There's a mammoth fossil at the Creation Museum that was found in Ohio buried. How did a mammoth, which looks like an elephant, just very furry, wind up in Ohio? Maybe a flood, right? So it's incredible to think that Satan has laid a foundation of lies to where our kids grow up in science class and they see the monkey becoming an ape. There's even a video game that has you play as a monkey and eventually you become a human. But yet there's no evidence of that. Most of the fossils that they have found have been proven fraudulent. Nebraska Man is a prime example. They had a whole drawing of Nebraska Man. The whole body, right, looks just like, kind of like a, kind of like a human, kind of like an ape, but they said, this is our ancestor, right? And yet, all they had was an extinct, well, extinct pig tooth. That's all they had, and it was proven fraudulent. The, the most impressive fossil they have is called Lucy. Lucy's bone fragments are um, just little shatters of pieces. There's not even a full skull, all right? Um, her hips in pieces of her body were found miles from the actual skull. But yet that is the the best evidence that they have that we came from an ape. So why are there apes today if we came from an ape? Doesn't make sense, right? None of that makes sense. However, creation makes sense. What we find in the fossil record today is living fossils that are exactly like what we have today, or extinct species like dinosaurs, like saber-toothed tiger, like mammoths, like some of these other monkeys or apes, right? Some of these folks may have been living in caves, may have had hunchbacks, and maybe they were human, right? Because remember, after the flood, what are you going to live in? There isn't any trees, And if they are, they're pretty tiny, right? The oldest tree is around 4,000 years old, approximately. The flood happened around 4,000 years ago. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. So let's move on. Genesis 1, 2 through 5 says this, The earth was formless and empty, And darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So we see here that already we're seeing a piece of the Trinity, right? We see the Spirit of God, which is called out separately, hovering over the waters, right? So this text to me looks like that we have God, possibly the Father, in the Spirit of God, hovering over the waters, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Wait a minute, he didn't create the sun yet how can there be light? How many of us read over that and never really thought about it, right? He didn't create the sun yet. How in the world is there light? But then when we look at Revelation, and I didn't put this on my slides, but when we look at Revelation and we live in a new heaven and a new earth, there is no sun, there is no, none of that, and God is the light. His glory, His profound glory is the light that illuminates everything. That's immense. That's that's incredible. So God said, let there be light. There was light. Just by the sound of his voice and the command, let there be light. There's light. And he separated the light from the darkness. He called one day and one he called night. So right here, we're looking at a day and night. So then he also calls out... Evening passed, and morning came, and marking the first day. Why do you think that he calls out evening and morning? Probably because he knew that a couple thousand years later, someone would say, oh, you know, we're millions and millions and millions of years old, and somehow we're shoving millions of years in between the evening and the morning, right? It doesn't make any sense. However, when you read the text, evening passed, in morning, marking the first day. So a 24-hour literal period. It makes zero sense for God to use millions of years. Why would he take millions of years to do all of this stuff? Aren't we limiting him? Aren't we saying, oh, well, he just, you know, every now and again he got bored. You know, he just, well, today I'll make an elephant tomorrow T-Rex, you know, eh, I'll make this little girl, you know, and I'll call her Eve. I'll pull her out of Adam. See, it doesn't make any sense. However, he's calling out evening. He's calling out morning, marking a 24-hour period. So we see the Spirit of God the text implies that God, either Jesus or the Father, is present, calling out the Spirit separately, hovering over the waters. So we can see that there's water, right? But we can also see there's darkness, and there's, it's just completely empty. It's formless. It's just a void, almost like a ball of water. There's nothing there. There's no fish. There's no land. There's none of that. It's just void. But where's Jesus? If Jesus really is this eternal God, wouldn't he be at creation? Yes. He would be. As so like I said before, you can't have God unless you have Jesus. You can't have him. If you take him away, God doesn't exist. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. We don't fully comprehend that, right? Again, we're trying to put God in this little box. You're never going to fully comprehend that. But the Bible says it, trust it to be true. Because as you, as you will see throughout the whole Old Testament, you're going to see evidence of the Spirit, you're going to see evidence of the Father, you're going to see evidence of Christ throughout the entire thing. So, was Jesus present? John 1, 1-5 explains this. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word is Jesus. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word word there is logos. Logos is a divine reason, a or divine order. That's the meaning behind it. So John is using the word logos to say that Jesus is this divine, supreme being in the reason behind everything. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So when we go back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can see that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was in the beginning, and everything was created through Christ. Colossians 1.16 says this, For through him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Say what? Everything was created through him and for him. You and I may not have been created in the book of Genesis because we weren't in the garden, but we were created for him, for a relationship. Everything you see outside, when you walk outside and you see the glory of God in the sun coming down on you, and oh my goodness, that's so nice, isn't it? It was like 30 degrees last week right it's ready to, like kick off your shoes put your flip-flops on pull up your camo shorts and you're ready right so but you could see his glory all around you could see the buds in the trees opening up you could see the trees sprouting out of the ground and what i think is absolutely incredible is everything you know i'll tell you about this outside of the sermon, but there's a scripture in Psalms that talks about how creation is worshiping the creator, right? It talks about the creation that calls out to him. So trees, in my mind, are coming up and just reaching out to him. And so, so is the flowers. They're blooming, right? We have birds singing these Beautiful little tunes. We have whales singing to one another, and sometimes we really don't understand why. Yes, they're probably communicating, but sometimes they just do it. Why? Is it fun? Or are they really just praising a creator? There's certain trees that actually make popping noises. Why? Why why would they make a noise? Maybe, and again, in my mind, this is just a maybe. I don't have scripture to back this up but maybe all of these things are praising a creator. I did I did a um a study here once where we took creation and we started pulling out different pieces of creation and there's a there's a pastor named Louis Giglio that did a sermon on creation and he talked about the stars, right? And if you know me well enough, I normally tell a lot of people about this because I just think it's so profound. It just really speaks to me, right? That the stars are up there, and there's billions of them, right? However, we, as human beings, we pay for these instruments to sit around our planet to listen for, you know, extraterrestrials, right? (laughs) And we're listening because we're waiting to hear from someone. However, these instruments are actually picking up on other noises. Now, there's no noise in space because there's nothing for for sound to bounce off of. But these instruments can pick up on noises because that's what they're designed to do. But these star constellations are rotating on their axes. They're actually called oscillating on their axis, and they're making noises. There's star constellations that are actually making noises that sound like violins. The star constellations, and and I would have to bring up the sermon to to, to really explain it, but there's some that sound like drums. And then I start thinking to myself, why in the world are stars making noises? And they literally, some of them sound like violins. Why? Why? Because everything is praising a creator. Everything. It's just incredible. You could see it in the sun, you could see it in the flowers, in the trees, in the air. The very air that just blows, and you get this this cool breeze that you've been waiting for because all we've been dealing with is snow and cold. And it's like, wow, that just smells so good, so nice to be outside. Listen, open up your minds and your hearts because God is revealing, revealing himself to you through his creation. Don't be a doubter. Don't go out and just pass through those items in those things, just blindly, look at them closely, because God is present. God is present. It's it's incredible. You know, we see all of this stuff, and sometimes we, we take it for granted. Sometimes we take the snow for granted, right? Don't we? It's like, I don't know why I have to shovel all of this stuff. It's just, ugh, Right? And, you know, you're out with the salt, and thank goodness it's over, I hope, right? And we take it for granted, though. But if we, if we look at a snowflake really close, wow. Do you know how much art is there? Like, it's an incredible. It is an c- incredible image. Each snowflake is uniquely designed with a design, and it's perfect. Is something as small as a snowflake. It's amazing. Going back to Genesis. We're in 6 now. Genesis 1, 6. It says, Then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened, and God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens, and God called the space sky. An evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. So we could see here that God is still marking each day with an evening and a morning, but we always read well not always, but most of us, I'm assuming, would read through this and not catch it. God is separating waters from waters. And he's creating space between it. So our atmosphere, folks, is not exactly what it used to be. Whether that water is... Some some folks believe it was a water blanket that went around the earth. Some folks believe that it was just, you know, just this vapor of water. But there was water on the earth, and there was water above, and there was space between. Ever wonder how all that rain came down in the flood? Right? There's a lot up there, okay? It's already in place. whatever form that plate takes, I'm not exactly sure, but all I know is he separated waters from waters. Moving on, verse nine says, Think God so- let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry land may appear. and that is what happened. God called the dry land. I'm sorry, God called the dry ground land and the water seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout out vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees in which they came. And that is what happened. So we can see here God pulling all the waters to one place together and dry land appeared, okay? Now, when we think about that, we think about the North America, Africa, Australia, but the Bible describes as God God pulling the waters to one place, right? And we can see this in the evidence of the flood. They fit together like a puzzle. If my slide will work. There we go you just got to press a little harder right so it may not have looked like this but however have you ever noticed how the us and africa could just kind of fit together you ever wonder why because god created land and it may it wasn't separated by all this nobody knew what the united states was yet it was all one big piece right and what we believe is during the flood, that broke apart, and that's where we get all of these puzzle pieces. Okay? So in the beginning, God separated these waters, and dry land appeared. So what did he do next? Genesis one twelve says this, The land produced vegetation, all Sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees and seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produce plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. So I brought an apple up here with me because, again, another thing we kind of take for granted. If I was to eat this apple and then I was to take the seed, and then I probably have to, I don't know a lot about planting seeds, but let's just say I have to dry that seed out a little bit, and I put it under the right conditions, it then will produce a tree and a trunk and more branches and more leaves and then more apple flowers, which become apples with more seeds in them. How in the world did that little seed know how to do that? And science has never been able to make a seed, ever. Ever. They can only manipulate the seeds to become different color flowers with chemicals and things like that, right? But we can't make a seed. We can't do it. But that's incredible. And that's exactly what Genesis 1, 12 through 13 is describing, that he is creating these plants and trees that are seed-bearing that will produce their own kind. And we can see that God designed seed-bearing plants to reproduce and create other seed-bearing plants of the same kind. So this is an apple flower. So if you see apple trees, they first get these flowers on them, and eventually those become apples. And then we harvest the apples, we eat the apples, and then what we can do with the seeds is we plant them again, and the process starts all over again. That's incredible. Like, why do I take that for granted? Like, you know how much design is in that? Like, wow, that's, that just blows my mind. I can't even comprehend how that works. But yet, God did it, right? And he's building something, right? Even over here, when he starts creating, he already has in mind what his purpose is. Right, And he's building towards that purpose. Okay, So we can see Christ, we can see the Father, we can see the Spirit, building towards a purpose. Genesis 1.14 Then God said, let lights appear in the sky and separate the day from night. Let them be signs and mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars like, like they're no big deal, right? <laughs> so we have the sun, right, governing the day. We have the moon that governs the night. And then we have the stars also. And they, they give us our seasons, right? So now, now we have a way to tell time. What year is it? Anybody tell me what year it is? I'm old. don't remember. 2022, right here. 2022 years since what? We measure time by him. Don't take that for granted. We measure time by Christ. Like, when I really started thinking about that, like, what kind of, like, it's almost like God took his stamp and went, you're going to measure time by me, right? Like, wow. And I know that at, at certain portions in the past that we may have had different calendars and things like that, right? But what's incredible is, you know, the day where God stopped the sun, right? If we calculate from that day, Actually, that's when our calendars changed. And our calendars changed to have 365 days in a year versus whatever it was before. I don't remember. But again, it marks a path of God making an impact on the creation. And we can see that of how we measure time today. measure time by where the stars are in the sky at a certain period during the seasons. The sun is in the sky to mark morning. The moon is in the sky to mark evening. Again, all set up by the Creator in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 17-19 says this, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. You could see God's glory so far, the profound glory throughout this whole process. And he's building towards us having a relationship with him. He's building all of this towards that point, right? Right? And again, he marks the morning and the evening, marking a 24-hour period. This is our sun. Pretty incredible. Pretty hot. (laughs) Um, The sun is 864,000 miles away. It's pretty far. How big is it? You can fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun and it's a small star very small compared to other stars that are out there God put this in place it's exactly the right place to create light energy for plants and vitamin D for us in everything we need without it being too close to burn us up, without it being too far away for us not to be really cold and freeze, but just the right place. This is where he said, and God created the stars also, right? Like, oh, they're really no big deal. They're just stars, right? They're a very big deal because listen, God has designed everything. And when we look at this stuff, we should just see his glory all over it. This is the Whirlpool Galaxy. The Whirlpool Galaxy consists of millions upon millions of stars and constellations of stars. All right? It resides 23 million light years away. And to you, you might be thinking Star Trek right now, right? (laughs) Like I am. But what is a light year? A light year is how fast light can travel in a given year, okay? So to just give you an idea of how big God is, 23 million light years away, if we are traveling at 136,000 miles for every one second, it would take us 23 million years to get there. How big is God to you now? Because he's bigger than all of that. And that's one of the closest galaxies. Wow. I don't have proof of this, right? I can't say that God did this on purpose, but this spoke to me in my testimony. So in the middle of that galaxy is this. This is seen in the Hubble telescope images from NASA. You can Google it. This is called the M as in Mary 51 cross. This is a black hole that what appears to be a cross. Now again, the Bible doesn't say, hey, he's going to put a cross in the middle of the whirlpool galaxy just to tell you about Jesus. I don't know, but to me, it speaks to me, okay? And if God spoke to me through this, maybe he's speaking to you through this. Maybe there's things in our lives that we're taking for granted when we walk out into creation and we see the sun and we see the moon and we're sitting and we're laying there and we're looking up at the clouds that maybe God will speak to us in that time, growing our relationship in Him, understanding that we need Jesus every day as Savior and ruler and of our whole lives. As we walk in obedience to Him and submission to Him, as our lives reflect him with our lifestyle. Christianity should not be a check mark. It should be your life. Amen? I am going to run out of time. We're going to be here till like 1 o'clock. I'm sorry. I'm going to have a late lunch today. Let's, let's move on. So, Genesis 1, 20-23 says this, Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life, Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created sea creatures of every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of its same kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And every, I'm sorry, an evening passed and morning came marking the fifth day. So again, God is creating fish. He's creating birds. They're filling the waters. They're filling the skies. What's incredible about this, they both have scales. Right? Birds on their feet, fish on their bodies. Most fish. I really feel that maybe, just maybe, God had a design in mind that day. You know how whenever you're looking at at a painting... And people can say, oh, well, that was this artist or that artist because they can tell by the brushstrokes. God, in mind that day, sounds like he had first some kind of dynamic where they can fly through the air or go through the sea because their, their bodies are designed very, um, I don't know what the word is, but in order for them to go through water or go through the sky easily. So it's almost like a pointed body, Right? And their bone structures are very similar. And yet they both have scales. And people take this for granted at times. How do we take that for granted? Like, look at that fish. Like, look how perfect the stripes are. Like, how does that just happen? Like, there is a designer that's painting this and i don't know if this fish was created in genesis 1 right because if we go back to micro and macro evolution macro evolution didn't happen but micro evolution can happen where a fish becomes a fish becomes a fish becomes a fish right so in the dna of the original fish may in the dna of this fish and over time here's that fish because a fish becomes a fish does that make sense a fish doesn't become a dog right an ape doesn't become a human. A raccoon doesn't become a, an elephant. But a fish becomes a fish. And fish can make more fish. And both fish and birds also lay eggs. Again, all in the same day. And then we have creatures like this. Like these things are bigger than the stage. Probably bigger. I've never seen a whale. I'd really like to. But huge, enormous creatures right and then we have the bald eagle just flying along I actually saw one of these back here on Venetia Road sitting in the field it was it was actually uh, it was probably it wasn't an old one because it was it was kind of small still but they get enormous they sit literally that high if you ever seen one that's just incredible look at this thing like, wow, when you love that thing? Like, you know, sitting on your shoulder, pecking at your ear? You you kind of think of that cereal, right? But look at the colors. Like, that just doesn't just happen. Like, you have a designer designing. What happens next? Genesis 1, 24 says this. 20, 24 through 26. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground in wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, keyword us, make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Let us make man in our image. Again, we're pulling out the Trinity or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's making you in his image, in purpose for relationship, in order to glorify him so that others can come to know him through Jesus Christ. And remember, he already knew he would have to send Jesus here to die on a cross, here for your redemption. But he made these animals, right? And yeah, there's dinosaurs there. Because if we take Genesis literally like we should, God made dinosaurs, right? Along with the other wild animals. Well, how is there evidence of that? You know, back in, I think it was 2015, they found soft tissue of a dinosaur. How does that survive millions and millions of years if, if, there's, if they died 65 million years ago? Right? Right? There's cave drawings. You know, remember after the flood, people couldn't live in houses like we have today or huts. There wasn't a lot of lumber yet. They may or may not have disassembled the ark and tried to make houses, right? But again, it's going to take some time to have that. So folks would have lived in caves theoretically, right? There's cave drawings of dinosaurs with these long necks. The book of Job describes a beast with the tail the size of a cedar tree. What animal today has the tail the size of a cedar tree? A dinosaur does. The word dinosaur wasn't invented until the 1800s, by the way. They use the word dragon a lot, right? So most of these, we believe, were wiped out by the flood. All right. But God made these, but then he did something incredible. He made us in his image. In the image of God, he created us. You and me. Right? On purpose. For a reason. Genesis one through 28, says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry around the ground. So he created us to rule over these animals, to rule over and just kind of reign over this stuff as him being the supreme being that we would worship and that we would be obedient to, that we would walk along with, right? Before the fall. And then everything changed. And I'm sure pastor possibly may get to that as we go through the Old Testament. Genesis 1, 29-31 said, Then God said, Look... I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all of the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And God looked over all of He had made and said that it was very good. Amen. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Now, if we read this, and again, we we should be taking this literally. We were vegetarians. Adam and Eve were vegetarians. They were to eat plants. The eating of meat hasn't even occurred yet, right? So animals, the first kinds of animals, and humans were eating plants. going to move to Genesis 2 just briefly because this is really important. Genesis 2, 1 through 4 says this, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. God did not need to rest, by the way. God doesn't have to rest. God chose to rest. Okay? God doesn't get tired. He doesn't have to take a nap on a Saturday like me. Right? He's much too powerful to have to do that. Genesis 2, 5-7 through 7 says, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wowed, plants nor grains were given on the growing on the earth for the lord god had not yet sent rain to water the earth and there were no people to cultivate the soil instead springs came up from the ground and watered or mist depending on your translation ground and watered the land then the god then the lord god formed the man from the dust of the ground he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person So when God made the light, when he said, let there be light, there was no sun yet. When he put the plants on the earth for the very first time, there was no sun yet. He was the light sustaining all of that, right? But then he did something different. He reached down and he grabbed soil and he breathed the breath of life into it into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person wow in his image right that's incredible but here here's what here's what i did right so i'm really a creation nerd like Like, literally. Um, So I started thinking, like, okay, God, if I'm really made out of dirt, like, (laughs) that's kind of (laughs) weird. But, like, what, what does dirt have, right? So these are nine main elements of the Earth's crust. We have hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur, sodium, calcium, magnesium, silicon. There are others, right? But these are kind of the main nine you know, maybe not in that exact order, right? So I started thinking to myself, okay, well, what do I have? If I, if God reached down and grabbed earth and breathed the breath of life into me, I should have some of this stuff, right? Wouldn't you think? Right? If that story is right, and I, and I truly believe it is, I should be made out of this dirt, right? And most of us don't think that. Most of us don't think that, well, you know, I'm made out of elements of the earth, right? This is the percent of weight of the earth's crust versus the human body. We have every single one of these. We have hydrogen, we have carbon, we have oxygen, we have nitrogen, sulfur, sodium, calcium, magnesium, silicon. We have a very little, little bit of silicon. And again, the nerd in me, right? I started looking at this and I'm like, oh God, that, that's just incredible, I am made out of the same stuff that you said that you picked up and breathed the breath of life into. But why in the world do I have so much carbon? Like 0.03, 18%. Lord, what is that all about? That's just strange. Is there something wrong with my, um, what's that thing called, catalytic converter? Like, what's going on there? And then I start thinking maybe, and again, I'm not a scientist. So please don't quote me on this. But maybe, what, what do we, we breathe in oxygen, we breathe in nitrogen, mostly it's, it's oxygen, nitrogen, and our bodies don't do much with the nitrogen, it just kind of exhales back out. So when we breathe out, nitrogen comes out. But also, plants are breathing out oxygen for us to breathe in the oxygen, right? and they're breathing in carbon dioxide, we're breathing out carbon dioxide. Wait a minute, carbon dioxide, carbon. So carbon dioxide is the oxygenated form of a colorless gas of carbon. So maybe, just maybe, whenever God breathed the breath of life into that dirt, that when the carbon dioxide came out, that maybe, possibly, I have more carbon because of it. I don't know. Maybe as it changed and it has never happened, but during creation, maybe it did. Maybe that carbon somehow is still imprinted in my DNA as the breath of life of the Lord. I don't know. But to me, it encouraged me. So I thought I'd share. But you are made out of the same elements. Exactly what the scriptures say as God picked up dirt and breathed the breath of life into it. On purpose. So that you can walk with Him, talk with Him, and have a relationship with Him. Oh, I already lost my place. So God's glory shines throughout His creation. He created us for a relationship in mind, for us to be obedient to Him, in the walk and submission to Him. For us to glorify Him with our lifestyle. So that others may come to know him and spend an eternity with the living God. The creator of the universe is calling you to be his child. Now, what's interesting is, and in, in I do this a lot, and in, in hopefully I don't offend anybody by saying this, um, but a lot of the times Christianity to a lot of folks um, is a check mark, right? It's a form That when we go and we say, hey, what faith are you? And I'm checkmarking Christianity because that's what relates best to me. Christianity is not something that's on a form, but it's a life. It's it's a submission to a holy God in faith and trust in the Savior that sent us. We are all going to mess up every single day. Who has sinned today? Me. Who sinned yesterday? Me. Right? However when folks look at our lives we are to glorify much like the creation does the holy creator as we handle a situation christ should be shining out as we're talking to folks christ should be shining out as we're talking to our teachers or our parents or our co-workers christ should be shining out and we're not we're going to fall short right we're going to mess up but overall Our life should reflect the creator because the purpose of the creation of human beings is to have a relationship with him. It's for you and me to walk with him every day, every second, every minute to tell others about him, to tell others about how they can get to know Christ and he can come into their heart And the Holy Spirit will dwell upon them. And that so one day they can be in heaven. So we're to turn from our sin, repent, put our trust, faith, and hope in the one, in the only one. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And whenever he says nobody, he means nobody. It doesn't mean that you can have another faith. Like, listen, I, I. and I was telling someone downstairs, I admire people that have other faiths. Don't get me wrong. They're very, they're very dedicated, right? But if they're believing in a false God, they cannot go to heaven. And listen, I know I'm very bold whenever I preach. And, and if I'm offending you, I apologize. If you do not trust Christ, you cannot go. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That if I have told one lie in my life, I can't get in. It's over. I've already messed up. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, meaning an eternal separation from the Holy Creator in a place called hell. But the rest of that verse is incredible because it says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you here today and you really haven't given that? Have you really given the keys to your life? Or is it just a Jesus in your mind? Someone that you know a lot about? If that's you today in your heart, I'm praying that God is saying, you need me more than anything. I need to be the one that you worship. I need to be the one that you have the relationship with. I need to be the one that you glorify as you walk through my creation and you see my sun beaming down and you see my grass coming up. I need to be your God. Is that you? Maybe. Or maybe you're the Christian today that's struggling, much like me. Maybe you need to be the one that says, Lord, I have, haven't been as obedient as I, I should be. Obedience is my outward expression for my love for God. The Blackabees were teaching that in their series. But my obedience is my outward expression for my love for God. Do I need to be more obedient? Is that me? Whenever I walk into a room, do people see Jesus in me? because I want them to more than anything. My kids will tell you more than me that I mess up every day. But the most important thing is Him. So when you walk out this door, don't take the sun for granted. Don't take the butterflies for granted. Don't take the breeze for granted. Go out and be that. As they're glorifying Him, you go and glorify Him. As our worship team comes. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're either the Christian who needs to be closer. Maybe you're the one that really doesn't have him as savior yet. Call out to him. He's there waiting. Since the beginning of time, he knew. He wanted you to be his child. Maybe that's you. Let's stand and praise him like we were made to.
0: This is the name that reigns above all others. Jesus Christ, the King above all.